0: Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. Hey, good morning, Radiant Family. It is good to be with you virtually on this Sunday morning. Uh, Hopefully you have enjoyed Radiant Church online today so far. Um, And I thank you for being patient with us as we are moving into our new location. And so we are not having in-person services for the next few weeks. Um, So we're gathering online. Hopefully we are huddled up in rooms around the city, maybe together, um, be able to hear God's word and to worship together in some way. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and open up to James chapter 4. Also, if you have one of these scripture journals, um, you can pull that out as well, because we're going to dive right into the Word of God. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17 is where we're going to be today. And as we just kind of wrap our minds around this passage, we're going to see in verses 13 and 14, James is going to give us a correction. In typical James fashion, he's going to pull no punches and get right to the point. But then in verses 15 and 16, we're going to get an encouragement, not just what we should stay away from and abstain and stop doing, but what should we do instead? That's going to be the encouragement. And then James is going to end with verse 17 with a charge to God's people. So that's where we're going to go today. Let me read the passage and then pray for us. James 14, 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is a sin to know the good and yet not do it. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I need your help in this moment to communicate your word with conviction, clarity, and compassion. God, I pray that you would soften all of our hearts to hear what you have to say to us through your holy word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And all the people of God said, amen and amen. This passage may seem hard to understand at first glance. A casual reading of this passage means to maybe speak to us that we shouldn't plan at all, that our life and our activities and our labors are meaningless. Um, Hopefully by the end of today, we will see that it's not what James is saying. And matter of fact, it's just the opposite if we would allow God to work in us. So let's start at the beginning, the correction. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Let me pause right there just to provide a little historical context. This, in our modern day reading, might seem on its face kind of greedy or selfish to travel around and try to make money. But in James's time, this would be normal. You see, this was the time before Pinterest stores or Etsy stores or putting up your own websites. If you wanted to sell to the world, you couldn't allow the world to come to you. You had to go to the world. And so this was how business was typically done with salesmen and merchants or those who had crops to raise cattle. They would take their goods from one place, set up a commerce relationship in that city, and then they would have to go to the next city. And so what James is describing is actually quite normal, quite typical, not just for the the wealthy or the greedy, but for anyone who wanted to make a living, that is how you had to do it. In verse 14 he's going to give a correction to the seemingly normal activity. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. It seems to be that, once again, a casual reading of these first two verses that James is saying that that's a bad thing, that setting up trade and doing business and really just living lives pretty normally, there's something wrong with that. But listen carefully to what James is saying and don't hear what he's not saying, He doesn't actually say that any of these things are wrong just yet. He's not saying the activities that we engage in, going to work and saving for retirement and planning for the future. He's not saying that any of those things are wrong. He's bringing a necessary correction, not to our activity, but to our mindset, not to our activity, but to our mindset. how do we think about our lives? How do we think about our future? You see, James is introducing for some and reminding for others the great danger of the Christian life in this modern age. The great danger of the Christian life in this modern age is this. The normal rhythms of life have a tendency to pull you further and further away from God's priorities. The normal rhythms of life have a tendency to pull us further and further away from God's priorities. Why? Because we can't see God as much as we can see these bills. We don't hear the voice of God as loud as we hear the voice of our supervisor or manager. We don't feel the draw of God's priorities as much as we feel the draw to make sure our kids were involved in all the sports and activities that would make them a great candidate for colleges and other things. And so the things around us seem to be more real than the things of God, the eternal things, the things that will last forever. And so James is not saying that these things are wrong. He's saying these things have a plan for our lives. Yes, your job, your kids' sports, your savings for retirement, all those things have have the tendency to draw us away to think that this is all there is. And he's reminding us in verse 14 that our lives are fragile. So now, I think about such a simple and profound statement as we don't know what tomorrow will bring. In verse 14, it sounds like, okay, of course, everyone knows that, that we can't predict the future. And yet oftentimes we forget that we can't predict the future. How many times have we been just disrupted and have our lives changed in a moment with a phone call, with a text, with a sudden piece of news that all of a sudden changes everything. Those things are both tragedies at times and triumphs and successes at other times, but they should be reminders that we have really no idea what the future holds. But you know who does? Of course, God. And yet he has a plan for our lives and he's not just guessing at what will make us happy. He's not just guessing at those things that will give us the most joy and the most purpose and feeling of fulfillment. No, he not only knows us, but he knows the future. And it's him that offers us a path of obedience. And yet oftentimes we hear God's voice of giving and serving and loving and forgiving. And it doesn't seem to make as much sense as withholding, as not giving, as not forgiving, as not serving. All those things seem to make much more sense to the screaming demands of our own lives. And oftentimes those demands crowd out the voice of God. James is saying that the things that we do in our lives, the planning for the future, the day-to-day activities are not wrong, but man, they can be a distraction to the most important things. You do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appeals for a little while and then vanishes. (laughs) James, let me remind you that James is a pastor. James loves people. And although this sounds like a a negative statement to say that we're not going to live forever, isn't that a true statement, though? That no one's going to be here for long. And what gives our life meaning is not the achievements that we rack up on the way to the grave. What gives our life meaning is the amount of our lives that we bring in total surrender and submission to God. Because there is a legacy at stake. You see, James is not saying that our lives are meaningless by it, it vanishes, it's saying that one day we will be gone, and what will we leave behind? Many of us hope to leave behind land and wealth and success to our children, to those who will come after us. But James is saying when we are but a mist, when we are gone from this place, there is actually something more divine and better that we can live, leave for the next generation. What is he alluding to? Well, that's verse 15 and 16, the encouragement. To not just live life, letting the stream of life and let the rhythms of life draw us away from the priorities of God. But instead, verse 15, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Once again, James isn't saying that these things are wrong, but he's saying, have we asked God what he thinks about our plans for our life? Have we considered what God's priorities in, not just in what we do, but in how we do what we do? You see, the problem that James is addressing isn't us living our lives wrongly, it's living our lives autonomously. That's the heart of the issue that James is addressing right now. It's not about wrong or right, it's either submission or rebellion, or as James puts it, submission or arrogance. Arrogance. Submission says, God, here's what I think is good for me. What do you think? Let me pause and pray and listen and wait on the voice of the Lord. Rather than saying, God, this is what I want to do. Please bless it. When I hear plans like that, oftentimes I will hear people talking about their plans and praying for God's favor. And it's just like sprinkling a little Jesus on our plans, which is, I have my plan. Let me just sprinkle some Jesus on top. I want to take this job, so let me just talk about all the missional opportunities I'll have to engage with those coworkers. I want to marry this person, so let me talk about how much this person will sanctify me and grow me. Oftentimes we decide what we want to do, and then we back our way into making it sound like it's what God wants us to do. That's what living autonomously oftentimes looks like for the believer. Many of us know better than to just outright say, God, I don't care what you want. Here's what I'm going to do with my life. No, we we know better than that. Instead, what we say is, well, God, surely you must be providing this opportunity. Surely you must be opening this door. Surely you must be granting me favor in this endeavor. Or surely you would want me to have this. Or God, if you give me this, here's what I'll do for you. This bargaining mentality, which says that you and God are kind of partners in the arrangement and design of your life. And you give a little and he gives a little and you take a little and he takes a little and you end up with a compromise. Family, that is not how the Christian should live. We don't bargain or compromise with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the creator of all the universe of the heavens and the earth. The redeemer of our souls. We do not bargain with the King. We obey the king, because he's been good to us. He has proven himself time and time again, trustworthy. And so he's calling us out of living as if our life were our own. He's not saying the things we're doing are wrong or right. It's just done in our own strength, with our own plans, with our own comfort and agenda at the forefront. And God is playing a supporting actor in the play of our lives. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. You see, we may not think of ourselves as prideful or boastful when we live our lives, but what we really are saying is, God, I know you have said, but. God, I know you want this, but. God, I know you've been good, but. God, I know you've provided, but. My plan sounds better than your plan. My idea sounds better than your idea, God. The way I want to raise my kids sounds better than the way you want me to. The way I love my spouse is better than the way that you call me to love my spouse. The careers that I choose sounds better than putting your priorities first. And although we may say it with eyes closed and hands folded and knees bent in prayer, it's just a disguised arrogance. It's a disguised bargaining with God which says that you are equal with God. As if y'all are having a conversation about the best course of your life trying to reach a compromise. That is not how the Christian should live. And that's why he calls it evil. That's why he says it's evil, because it's evil to see God as Lord and Savior of our souls and who we trust in for eternal salvation, and yet push him to the side when it comes to our budgets and our family vacations and our careers and our spouses and all the other decisions of our life. That's arrogance. They say, God, give me this thing, but I'm also going to take my own life. I'm going to take my life into my own hands. But you, you hold on to my salvation. I don't want to go to hell but I do want to choose my own career. I do want to choose my own time. I do want to choose my own fill in the blank. James is saying all such boasting is evil. And once again, you've heard me say this time and time again. I believe that James is James chapter one lays down a thesis that he unpacks through the rest of this book. And so just by way of reminder, let's turn to James chapter one verses 10 and 11. It says, but the, the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field for the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass. Its flowers fall off and its beautiful appearance perishes. And in the same way, listen carefully, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. The rich person will wither away while pursuing its activities. You know, there's a, a meme that's going around On social media that has heard it said, you know, make sure you spend time on your hobbies or your passions because if you died tomorrow, they would print your obituary in the newspaper one day and your job would post an opening position the next day. And it's kind of this funny reminder that our jobs don't oftentimes care about us or see us as people and as much time and as energy as we're putting into our jobs. If we were to leave today, our job would be posted tomorrow. And that's true for many of the places where we work in. But for the believer, that has a bigger meaning. You see, in the business of life, we may accumulate wealth. We may accumulate success. We may accumulate well-mannered kids or all the accolades or praises of men. But that is not what God is calling us to alone. What God is calling us to is submission to his life, to an eternal inheritance. You see, although our lives will vanish like vapor one day, the word of God is clear that anything we do for him will last. And think about this for just a moment. How many of us have people in our lives that left us an inheritance of godliness? Not money, not wealth, not land only, but godliness. How many people do we know who are no longer here who maybe have passed away years ago, but we still remember them praying for us. We still remember their godly example. We still remember this godly inheritance that they laid for us. I think about my own grandmother who has gone to be with the Lord years ago. I think about her prayers for me, how she ended every conversation reminding me to get right with the Lord, because at the time I was not. And she passed away before she could see me standing in front of a church preaching the word of God. But she is one of the many people who left a godly inheritance for me that I was able to draw upon and remember and that God used to even convict me that there is more to life than what I can achieve. There is more to life than what can be stashed in a bank account. There is more than life than the pictures we take on the travels that we go to. No, there is something better that God has for us. And none of those things are wrong, but all of those things can drift us away from God's priorities and purposes for our life. So what's the call here? What's the, the charge that he is calling us to? Well, we see that in verse 17. Verse 17 says this, So it is a sin to know the good and yet not do it. It is a sin to know the good and yet not do it. Here's the reality, family. As we've been walking through the book of James, I know it's true of you because it's true of me that God has been pounding on the door of some of our areas of our heart that we have yet to open up. God has been pounding on the door in some areas of our life that we have yet, not yet surrendered to him. There are some decisions that we think are too precious to leave up to God to make no, we must hold those close. There's are some areas in our life that we see are too important to let God decide. And week in and week out, the word of God has just been hammering us saying, trust me, submit to me, devote your life to me, and watch what I do. Watch the joy that I'm able to provide that you can't provide yourself. Watch the fulfillment that I can provide that you can't provide yourself. Once you align who you were made to be with how you spend your days, then you can see what God can do with a surrendered life. There is great joy on this side of eternity waiting for us. And that joy isn't just found in Sunday worship, although it's good. That joy isn't just found in community groups, which, yes, that's good. That joy isn't just found in events that churches may do and that families may do. No, those those things are good. But there is a joy that can only be found when our life is in alignment to who God has created us to be when every area of our life, our passions, our heart are in complete submission to God, saying, God, have your way. Unless we think that there are no consequences, James reminds us it is a sin to know there is an area in our life that we have yet to submit to God and continue in our arrogance, to continue in our rebellion. It is a sin, and family, family, if we've learned anything in the book of James, in the the Bible as a whole, is that sin kills. Sin kills. It kills joy. It kills relationships. Most importantly, it kills the relationship you have with the Father. Oftentimes we pray and read the Bible and God feels distant. The word of God feels cold and sterile. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes that's because we have a persistent area of rebellion in our life, and it's hurting us. It's hurting our ability to hear and respond to what God wants to do in our life. So as I close, let me give a final encouragement from the Word of God. What we do in our day-to-day lives, going to work, planning for the future, saving for retirement, none of those things are wrong, but all of those things the enemy can use to distract us from what's most important. You see, Mary and Martha are a familiar story for many of us. Jesus came to visit two young women, and Martha did what was reasonable, She says, we are about to have our Savior and Lord come and visit us. Let me prepare a meal for him and the guest. Let me serve him. And yet the other sister sat at the feet of Jesus, listening to his teaching worshiping. And when Martha went to correct Mary, Jesus said, no, don't correct her, for she has found what is most important. You see, what's most important isn't just the business of our life, trying to accomplish good things. The most important thing is a submitted life to Jesus. It's a relationship with him. And that works itself out oftentimes not by changing what we do. Oftentimes it changes why we do what we do, how we do what we do. Many of us are going to go to work like other folks will do every day. But for the believer, it's different for us, For we work as unto the Lord. Some of us will stay at home and take care of children, just like many believers and unbelievers alike. But for the believer, it's different because we do it as unto the Lord. We do it in submission to God's will for our lives. We don't just bring our plans to God, asking him to bless those plans. No, we're not here to bargain. We're not here to compromise. We're not here to say, God, well, if you want me to do this, and how about you give me this? No, we're here to say, God, I trust you with everything. You are Lord and you are King. And to not live like that is arrogance, is evil, and it's sin. Family, would we take this moment and just repent? I know there are areas in my life, and I know there are areas in yours where we have not let God have exactly what he wants, we have lived our lives autonomously, not in sin maybe, but autonomously, just living our lives without seeking God's perfect will, without submitting our life to God. We've lived our lives bargaining with God, compromising with God, but not submitting to God. And brothers and sisters, beloved, that is not how the Christian should live. And ultimately, it's that resistance to God's will which creates so much heartache in our lives today. And there is a fear that the whisper of the enemy gives us, that the the enemy whispers in our ear this fear that if we really gave it up, we would lose. If we really surrendered this error in our life, God is not going to come through. And that's why we withhold it. Let me counter that lie with truth. The word of God says that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And then if God gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that he will withhold no good thing from us. The only question is not only will we believe it, but will we live like we believe it? We walk away from arrogance, walk away from pride, walk away from bargaining and compromising, just live our life and a life of total devotion and total surrender. Would we allow the Holy Spirit to do that in our lives today? Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com.